Back in June, we talked to Sadie Wilson of the Greenbelt Alliance about their new program, Resilience Hotspots. It's about climate change mitigation through community involvement. And there are five of the hotspots. We discussed the one in North Richmond. Now we're going to move on to a second hotspot, and that would be the Sassoon Marsh. We're going to continue our conversation with Sadie and also talk to Alex Lenine of Sustainable Solano for a little bit of the local perspective. Welcome to Linksploration Bay Area. Climate change. We look at it up, down, and sideways. And all of it with a local twist. Hi, this is Jean Rosemeyer, and this is the second episode on the subject of Bay Area Resilience Hotspots, a program of the Greenbelt Alliance. In the first episode, we talked to Sadie Wilson about generally what resilience hotspots are and about the one in North Richmond. Today, we're going to move on to a second hotspot, and that would be the Sassoon Marsh. Just to recap, resilience hotspots are places that require urgent attention for climate change hazards. There are 18 of these hotspots. Five of them are the initial tranche of places where Greenbelt is going to focus its attention. And today we're talking about the Sassoon Marsh. With me is Sadie Wilson from the Greenbelt Alliance. Welcome, Sadie. Thanks for having me here today. Why Sassoon? Who's the local partner? What are the specific locations? Sassoon is such a special place. It's, you know, one of the oldest towns in the state and has a vibrant history, but it's also a very small community of roughly 20,000 people that is so intertwined with the Sassoon Marsh, which is a special place in and of itself, being one of the largest brackish water marshes west of the Mississippi and home to a number of protected and critical species, both plant and and bird species, that it, it really is critical that we protect this marshland. And that is not only for those ecological benefits, but to make sure that we're protecting the development and the people in Sassoon and Fairfield. And so this is kind of what's interesting about Sassoon is that the decisions that Sassoon makes in reacting to sea level rise concerns will directly impact its neighboring city of Fairfield that is divided just by, you know, a rail line and that will likely see flooding within this century. So there we have been working with Sustainable Solano, which is a great nonprofit organization working in Solano County. They focus mostly on sustainability and they do a number of garden installations, flood walks and educational activities, a lot of youth outreach and engagement. And they've been such a great partner. We're looking forward to working with them to partner to communicate that risk to, to more people. I think really getting people involved in different ways is part of what we need to do to build that advocacy. And so we've been working with them to do that as well. Are there specific locations or is it just generally the marsh and the community? Yeah. So part of our work 
We love our data and mapping. So we did do some analyses on what uh, using Bay Area or BCDC's Flood Explorer tool, which is a tool that everyone should explore for their own community. It lets you look at different water levels um, as a result of sea level rise and storm surge and king tides to see how that will likely impact your community and, and the resources there. So we use that data along with a number of other data sets to really tell the story of, of what is at risk. And so in Sassoon, most of the communities and areas that are south of the train tracks are at risk of flooding in the next hundred years. So part of what we wanted to do first as a regional organization was acknowledge that there is action going on already and the city has a very motivated mayor, Mayor Alma Hernandez, who has really come out as a climate champion and has put together the Climate and Environment Committee, which is a subgroup that really works on thinking about these issues and has been a, a huge support for action. I mean, I think it, it can't say enough about getting the right people into office um, and supporting those leaders. And also for us, it means that there is a, an opportunity right now to see change and to understand what happens next. In terms of specific assets at risk, the sewer district, the Fairfield Sassoon Sewer District has also played a major role in supporting early planning and adaptation because a lot of their infrastructure is at risk. And you might know this already, but around the Bay Area, sewer districts and wastewater districts are some of our biggest climate allies because their infrastructure will be impacted first. And none of us want to see what happens when that happens. So true. Oh my God. Yes, I do know that. <laughs> but on the other hand, part of our role in Sassoon is making sure that, that those planning processes are including the right populations and, and everyone has a voice. And so that's really part of what we're aiming to do is bring more people into the conversation and into the planning processes so that the adaptation projects aren't one-sided. They're not just a new pump station. They're not just a protective levy for one asset or one community, but they can be really transformative projects for the whole community. I mean, these are places that have unequal access to parks and green spaces. They're facing higher levels of asthma and pollution than most other places in the state and at lower housing availability and stability. And so there really is an opportunity to put all these pieces together and really approach environmental justice concerns and, and think about those root causes. But that doesn't happen if you don't have the right people at the table. So while no one has a that adaptation plan yet, um, and that's something we're definitely supporting, the creation of an adaptation plan, and a shoreline plan. But the first step to that is making sure that we have the right people at the table to be part of that from the start and realizing that that's not how the planning process has traditionally worked, that usually people are consulted once it's already gotten going and that hasn't had the best results. Yeah, or they're, they're presented with three different plans and then... Exactly. Powers that be choose the plan they wanted anyway. Before we leave Sassoon, I thought we should at least mention the Native Americans that are involved, mm -hmm. I think, I believe. Yeah, Sassoon is home to a number of indigenous populations. H historically, that, that was the Sassoon Marsh was a major asset to our indigenous populations. And 
since then, of course, there has been a lot of erasure of that past. And that is something that we're really looking forward to expanding those partnerships to include that as part of these flood walks and educational activities. Um, and that's a real focus of sustainable Solanas as well, that they're trying to build those partnerships locally to integrate traditional ecological knowledge into potential adaptation solutions. Where's the money coming from for Sassoon City? In Sassoon City, I think there's still... North Richmond is at a point of having a clear project, which is a hard place to get to. In Sassoon, that process, I think, is still of like what exactly needs to happen, what does that look like, is still a little bit in those early stages. But part of our work in all the places, and, and a reason that we really set out to do this work is that we saw a lot of money coming down from the state and federal government to prioritize climate resilience and especially climate resilience for climate vulnerable communities. But there was this mismatch existing in the capacity and technical expertise to actually access those funds by the communities that need them most. And so that is a major goal of this work that we want to partner with those community organizations we're working with on the ground to get them the funds that they need to do that next phase of work to make sure that places like Sassoon, that is a small city that has limited resources and limited staff capacity especially, can still be competitive for these bigger grants and funding resources. And so part of that is doing this groundwork to build those relationships so that when we see an opportunity, we can support them in hopefully getting access to more funding to do these initial planning studies to hopefully get to those projects. And you can learn more by following us on Instagram or on our newsletter. Um, So just going greenbelt.org, you'll find all the information you need And that'll just be greenbelt.org backslash hotspots. And we'll have a link to your website in our show notes. Well, thank you, Sadie. And now we're going to turn to Alex Lenine of Sustainable Solano for a local perspective. Welcome, Alex. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So tell us about Sustainable Solano. Yeah, so Sustainable Solano is, uh, funnily enough, a Solano-based nonprofit whose main focus is to use environmental issues and issues of sustainability affecting our county and use that as a sort of bridge to bring community together and build community to, you know, kind of face these issues head on. We do this in three main ways. Number one is through our green infrastructure programming which, you know, involves both residential lawn transformations and the building of community gardens. And the community garden side of things is actually how we started. We initially began as the Venetia Community Gardens and then expanded into other cities and, you know, expanded our sort of scope. So now we're sustainable Solano. Then the second sort of area where we do this is through our local food programs, you know, working with local farmers, promoting organic and sustainable farming practices in our county. And then the final sort of sphere and the sphere that's probably most relevant for today is where I'm at. And that's our resilient community sort of sphere, which works with engaging community members and local officials and bringing in local experts to educate and spread awareness of the environmental hazards and issues facing each city. So the Sassoon Marsh Project, tell me how it got started, where it's at, where it's going. Yeah, definitely. For those who aren't aware, the Sassoon Marsh is actually the largest brackish water marsh west of the Mississippi. 
and, you know, is home to a wide variety of different flora and fauna that really make this ecosystem unique. And our work within the marsh started really back in 2021 and specifically regarding the issue of flooding and rising sea levels that would inevitably impact the marsh in the coming years. We used data and publishings by the Bay Conservation Development Commission to serve as our focal point for educating and spreading awareness of these flooding challenges that are going to be facing Sassoon City and the marsh to residents starting in 2021. And then, you know, over the course of the year with that program, continuing to build that public awareness, continuing to bring more and more folks on board in terms of trying to come up with solutions to tackle flooding and climate change and issues in the city. We then use sort of that momentum to work with community members and local officials to create a community action plan regarding flooding and climate change in conjunction or in partnership with the Nature Conservancy. And that document, the sort of end product of that community action plan process, was this document that can be used as a blueprint for community members to kind of push and nudge their local officials in the specific sort of routes and ways in which they want to see climate change and flooding addressed, and also kind of serve as a blueprint for the elected officials themselves to kind of make sure that they're staying on track with what the community wanted and, and making sure that the community input you know, is being kept in mind moving forward. So that was 2021 to 2022. And since then in 2023, we've tried to follow up on those efforts, namely in partnership with another nonprofit called the Greenbelt Alliance based in San Francisco. And in partnering with the Greenbelt Alliance, we kind of helped them create a resiliency hotspot profile of Sassoon, adding to their regional resiliency hotspot sort of network that they've been developing. And through that, we helped them create a profile on Sassoon, led a few different outreach events to bring more and more community members into the fold. And then this sort of project is ongoing, continuing to conduct outreach with community members, continuing to work in partnership with the Sassoon city government and our really dedicated and wonderful group of residents that have been helping out all through along the way. So is the idea to implement the community action plan? The action plan itself is really about, you know, sort of like the next steps. So, for example, one of the sort of key and pivotal items that community members decided on being necessary and essential for future resiliency work in Sassoon was the pursuing of funding and grants for the actual planning out and implementation of a resiliency and preventative infrastructure such as ecotone levees, more horizontal levees, etc. Enlighten my ignorance, because I don't know what an ecotone levee or a horizontal levee is. <laughs> the two of them can more or less, you know, for, for our purposes, be used interchangeably. But the main goal is for both of those is for the implementation of a more natural approach to flooding resilience. So... In this case, you have, you know, your typical levees, right, which are just sort of like elevated ground and earth walls. What an ecotone or horizontal levee does is implement the surrounding native ecosystem into the levee itself. So these types of levees tend to have a lower slope, tend to be much wider in size, and also tend to be planted with plants and, you know, from like the local ecosystem. 
So, you know, in this case, for a levy or an ecotone levy that you'd see in the Susan Marsh, it would have a lot of native grasses, a lot of cattails, etc. So it's just a wider and less, I guess, vertically sloped levy that incorporates the natural and living environment into its construction. It actually reminds me of one of our first episodes, which was about the Walnut Creek Estuary Project, in which they have essentially steps up to the highest point, if you will, of the <laughs> levy, Ex- levy or whatever. Exactly, yeah. And then different kinds of plants live in different water footprints, if you will. Exactly, yeah. So th- that's exactly it. Just having it sort of be in different stages, incorporating that native ecosystem and having it be more gradual in its construction. Though that's just like one type of infrastructure that's been discussed by both committee members and the Environment Climate Committee in Sassoon. So they're still in that sort of planning process. So we'll see what infrastructure and more material forms of resilience the city and committee members decide on. So is the main goal of this to save the marsh from being drowned or to save Sassoon City from being drowned? Or is there no conflict there? That's a really interesting question. And unfortunately, due to the sort of different, I guess, levels of government that own different parts of the marsh, what we're really focused on and what we worked with community members to really focus on was more on preventing these impacts of climate change within Sassoon itself. The marsh is a federally protected wetland. So it's kind of not necessarily within our sphere of influence to do those more wide-scale protections for the marsh itself. There are some bits of wetland that exist within Sassoon itself, so we definitely pushed for you know those to be preserved. But as far as the, the marsh, more broadly speaking, that's outside the jurisdiction of Sassoon. So is it outside the plan as well? Yes and no. So part of the plan is to cooperate and coordinate with state and federal bodies, both in terms of funding and coordination. One of the talking points discussed was trying to bring in the uh, Army Corps of Engineers in to uh, provide help with that sort of planning and construction. But directly speaking, no. I'd, I'd say that in the plan itself, the main reference is to expanding the cooperation and partnership with these other government bodies rather than explicitly working out details in terms of how to preserve the marsh. I think I heard a lot of screams when you mentioned Army Corps of Engineers who are, you know, <laughs> I think they love concrete, let me just say. Uh, yeah, and that's definitely, you know, the give and take. With the work that we do, we obviously try to push for those more nature-based solutions such as those like more horizontal ecotone levies. Sustainable Solano, you know, we want the most sustainable and most environmentally friendly solutions that we can produce for our city for resilience. But our main work is doing that education, you know, talking about those types of solutions, but ultimately trying to empower community members to make those decisions for themselves. That's our main job is to do the educational piece, but then ultimately empower community members to be able to decide how they best see resilience in their city. So I'm unclear on how this is actually going to affect the marsh itself. Is the marsh just going to get really, really wet as sea level rises? Or what does the plan have in store for it? Yeah, so if nothing is done, um, the majority of the marsh, especially once you hit a little over one foot of increased water level, the marsh definitely is at risk of flooding and 
the negative consequences that that entails. Mm -hmm. For the plan itself, though, again, our work was mainly for helping community members and the uh, Sassoon government create sort of a blueprint for how to tackle the next steps. There isn't explicitly, you know, next steps in terms of where certain seawalls or levees need to be built to preserve that. I see. Although if your horizontal levee slopes slowly enough or it has a gentle enough slope, then presumably there will be a lot of marshy area on the levee itself, right? That's exactly. part of the point of the horizontal exactly. levee. In 2024 to 2025, we're continuing our partnership with the Greenbelt Alliance for other opportunities in Sassoon. We're definitely dedicated and plan on sticking around for a while to help Sassoon ensure that's resilient as could possibly be. So the next step is to get money to make a action plan, if you will. Is that where you're at? Sort of like funding for like planning out the infrastructure itself. And actually this type of, there have been the next steps for Sassoon in that regard. Local officials from Sassoon have been taking part of the uh, Fairfield Sassoon Sewer District Spatial Resiliency Roundtable, which is very much centered on regional coordination to, to receive grant funding for these types of projects. So yeah, I'd really say that this upcoming step is getting funding to make these types of proposals actionable. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been a great conversation. Oh yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. We will have some maps and photos of the marsh and the city. But then also the city in relation to different amounts of flooding at different increases of water level. Thank you so much, Alex. Yeah, thank you again for having me on. Exploration Bay Area is an independent podcast. You can find photos, show notes, and our archives on our website at linksploration.com. You can email us at linksploration at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This is Jean and Christy signing off until next time.